All right, you guys know where we are? Where are we going to be in the Bible this morning? Luke, Luke what? Luke 17, we finished 16 last week. We're in Luke 17, uh, we're going to tackle the first uh, 10 chapters. Again, if you, if you have your uh, bulletin sermon notes are there, those are always helpful. Uh, I, I got to confess to you, I love team sports. And I think part of the reason I love team sports is because I was never a great individual athlete. So I, I, wasn't, I wasn't ever going to the, win the 100-meter dash. I wasn't, wasn't going to win those things. But I, I love team sports. And as I've gotten older, I've really found a passion for coaching team sports, especially when kids get older. When they're younger, it's just like kick the ball in that direction, you know, try to spread out. It, it, those things never work. Uh, but when your kids hit an age where they can kind of start thinking about the concepts of a game... Um, not only can you teach them how a game is meant to work, but you can also start to teach them lessons about life. And so uh, I, I've been coaching um, my younger boys, they're 10 and 12. Uh, well, they're 10 and 11, but we're, it's a U12 team. And so uh, when we started, uh, actually Caleb's nine, so it's nine and uh, 11. But when we started, uh, we were just getting our tails kicked. We, we, we went up a whole division. We started playing competitive instead of recreational. And we were getting our tails kicked. And one of the reasons we were getting our tails kicked is because people didn't understand the concept that every action that they, that they, they made, everything they did on the field had an impact on everybody else on the team. And so we got lazy in certain things like throw-ins. Uh, when the ball goes out in soccer, you've got to throw it in. You've got to put it over your head. You can't do it from the side. You can't push it like this. You've got to be over your head. And you can't pick up your back foot. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to keep that foot down or else it's a bad throw. In one game in particular, we played another team, and we gave them the ball, uh, I want to say, eight times on bad throw-ins. And so uh, our, 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 our primary coach wasn't going to be there the next week, and I was, I was going to be there, and so I, I led practice on Tuesday. And I said, hey, guys, we're going to have fun. We're going to scrimmage. And they were like, yes, we don't have to work on drills. And it was awesome. We started the scrimmage. And I said, one thing, every bad throw-in, we're going to run a lap as a team. As a team. Not individually. I said, well, why should we do it as a team? It's just that one guy. No, it's not just that one guy. I saw several of you make bad. Every time there's a bad throw in the scrimmage. So guess what? By the fourth lap that the entire team ran, I no longer had to tell them not to lift their back foot. You know what? Because they were telling one another. Every time the ball went out, they'd say, throw in now. Now, now listen, don't pick up that toe. I'm not running another lap. Pretty soon they figured out that every action uh, that they had had an impact on the whole of the team, that they were all connected, and it really began to change the way we played. Now listen, we lost yesterday, but I, I'm, I am proud to say this, we didn't have one bad throw in. We didn't have one bad throw in. So, uh, listen, this Christian thing that we do really is a team sport. I don't know if anyone's told you that. But this Christian thing we do, it really is a, a team sport, and... and uh, that, that's what it's supposed to be, at least. And, and one of the truths of our text today is this. We are all connected. We are all connected. There is nothing that you can do in isolation from another believer. We are all connected, uh, and each individual's actions do have an impact on the whole. So let's talk about that as we study the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. I want to pray for us, if you don't mind. Let's pray. Father, um, we come to your word <clears throat> asking for understanding, uh, because this is a little section of Scripture that, that often has been misunderstood. People throughout the history of the church have used some of these teachings to mean a lot of different things, and uh, I fear in some of those we've missed the mark. If we're not talking about these things in light of the whole body of Christ, um, then we've done this text a disservice. So grant us wisdom now uh, to understand the word. Holy Spirit, I'm going to step back and allow you to come and to take your place here at 
our pulpit. And I'm going to ask you to be our teacher and to be our guide. And we ask that you would teach us the things of Jesus um, from the inside out. That you would impress them upon our hearts. That we would have a desire inwardly to obey this word. Jesus, be lifted up. Draw us to yourself. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 17, um, starting in verse 1, I'll just read through 10. Jesus said to his disciples, notice the audience, disciples. Remember, Luke says the Pharisees are still around. He's talking to his disciples. He says, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times he comes back to you, and he says, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper and get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are but unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Interesting section of scripture. Some people think that Luke's pulling from different places and he's assembling them. Uh, Other people think that that Jesus, as as any good teacher, often taught uh, the same principles on different occasions and maybe this is just a unit of text and occasion. The truth is, it doesn't matter because Luke put all the things in this order on purpose. They're here for a reason. And so we're going to tackle them as such this morning. And there's four things we're going to try to get Uh, through this morning. And here's the first. I want you to understand the connectivity of this passage. This morning, I want you to see because we are all connected and our actions have consequences, we must constantly guard our lives and doctrine closely. Say that again. Because we are all connected and our actions have consequences, we must constantly guard our lives and our doctrine closely. Listen, I know what the world tells you, right? The world says, just worry about yourself, right? I I mean, it is. It's look out for number one, try not to step in number two. It says, just look out for yourself, do whatever makes you happy. My favorite is is the one who says, uh, and, and I've heard good Christian people try to say, oh honey, just follow your heart. No! There's a problem with that. There's a problem with living for yourself and doing what you want to do. And, and, and it's really twofold. The first problem with that is that your heart is a liar. That's the first problem, right? Jeremiah declares this. Jeremiah uh, 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's beyond cure. So you shouldn't do whatever your heart wants, because your heart's a liar, right? It's going to lead you astray. That's what it's going to do. There's a second reason you shouldn't only live for yourself. And that second reason is because we don't live in a vacuum. Everything that you do has an impact on somebody else. Negative or positive, everything you do in life has an impact on your surroundings. Now, scientists actually didn't used to believe that. In fact, really smart guys like Albert Einstein at one point believed that it was possible as humans to merely be observers of the universe. But quantum physics is now proving him wrong. 
quantum physics now says that even when you observe something in science, you actually change that substance. Therefore, it is impossible for us to be mere observers in the universe. Rather, we must all be participants. What scientists are declaring is that we are all connected. And everything we do has an impact on others. That's why Jesus has such a strong warning here in verse 3. He says, so you better watch yourselves. In Greek, uh, it's a present imperative. That speaks to not just it should be happening, but rather in Greek, a present imperative means that it should always be happening. it's something that should be constant. It's something that should be habitual. Jesus is saying, because of this, you must always, constantly be on guard. You've got to constantly watch yourselves, and you have to watch yourselves, because sin is in the world. Sin is going to happen, but it shouldn't happen through you. Somebody else shouldn't, ha- shouldn't fall into sin because of you. And he says, listen, uh, verse 2, it would be better for you to die a tragic death than to cause one of these little ones to sin. What does that mean? I, I'll, I'll just confess to you. I spent the majority of my week going, Lord, what does that mean? I spent most of my week studying what everybody on earth has to say about what that means. And the problem is nobody, nobody agrees. So I'll I'll tell you some things. Now, if you go to Matthew, Jesus brings up a little child, and he uses that child as an illustration. Some people think that means it's only causing little children to sin. I don't believe that. I don't believe that because Luke doesn't actually bring up a little child. There's no little child mentioned uh, here. It's just disciples. uh, And and even with the little children, people think that's an illustration to talk about the young ones in the faith. I I think that's more uh, key here. Young ones in the faith, people that just aren't spiritually mature, right? And, and, and that's what. You, but what does it mean? Cause them to sin. The the word in Greek has two meanings. It can mean to entice a person to sin, or it can mean to cause someone to distrust. To cause someone to lose trust in God. The word in Greek is the word from which we get our word scandal. By the way, scandal. And this is where we need some understanding. Is Jesus just talking about any sin? Because for years, that's kind of what we've taught in the church, right? I mean, if you hand a guy a beer, then, then this is you. It'd be better for you to have a millstone and hung around your neck or die in a car wreck or, or get eaten by a shark if you hand somebody a beer. If you cause them to cuss, then that's what it's going to be. If, 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 if you go out and somebody starts dancing and then suddenly they're out having sex, that's on you, right? And, and, and a millstone around the neck. And the church, believe it or not, has taught that. And, and, and I just wonder, the gravity of that conversation that Jesus is having, where he says, it is, it, it, it'd be better for you to die a tragic death, can that refer to just any sin? Can that refer to, 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 to teaching somebody to, to, to you know, a, a white lie or somebody seeing your action and, 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 and drinking a single beer? Or, I mean, can, can, it, can it really refer to any action? Now, I, I always tell you, when I'm, I'm going to offer up my interpretation where I've been this week. So I'm going to offer this up. My, my interpretation. You do not have to agree. Okay? I believe the gravity of what Jesus is talking about demands something greater. And I believe the word that is used in Greek is used purposefully. And, and, and I believe that the, the heart of it lies that word scandal. This is talking about something so grave that it causes a scandal. 
that it causes a, a crisis, that it causes someone either to fall into great sin, which great sin, by the way, would be uh, less on the side of the sin of the flesh and more on the side of the sin of the spirit, like pride and self-righteousness, just if you're wondering. We, we have a tendency to label the sins of the flesh and say those are the worst sins. Friends, those are not the worst sins. The worst sins. And you say, wait, wait, pastor's saying there's sins worse than the others. Yes, the sin of pride, greatest sin there is, right? Because, because when you are proud, you will begin to look for things in others to put them down, to exalt yourself. When you exalt yourself, now you're an enemy, you're an opposer of God. God's going to oppose you. And so I'm, I'm here to say to you that there are, there are these great sins. And so, so listen, he's saying that there, there, something so grave, it causes a scandal, it causes a crisis, it causes someone either to fall into great sin or it causes them to fall away from their faith. It causes them to doubt or to distrust God because of something you have done. Makes me think about the great scandals in the church. You see pastors of a large church, of a mega church that fall. They have an affair. They steal money, right? They go to prison for tax evasion. How do you think that affects the people under their care? Think it causes any distrust of God? How could it not? How could it not? And you say, whoo, thank goodness, because I thought that passage had to do, to do with me. Thank goodness it's only for pastors. Hallelujah. Wait, don't take it such a deep breath yet, friends. Doesn't the Bible basically say that we're all ministers? Aren't we all ministers of reconciliation? Aren't we all ministers of the gospel? Don't you know that your neighbor may never set feet inside of this place of worship, but when they look at you, they see a representative of Jesus? Don't you think that when you... As a, as a known Christian in your community decides after 30 years of marriage that you're done and you can't take it anymore, don't you think that that has an impact? Don't, don't you think that that causes a scandal amongst those people in your life that have looked up to you as a Christ follower? You see it? Listen, you may not have the audience of a mega pastor, but I promise you this, you do have an audience. People are watching. And the Bible warns, it says, listen, don't do anything that would cause such a scandal, that could cause somebody either to fall into a great sin or could cause somebody to fall away from the little bit of faith that they have. It's a huge warning. It's a huge warning. Because we are all connected, our actions have consequences. We must constantly guard our lives and doctrine closely. Number two. <clears throat> Because we love and value one another, we must call each other up out of sin as soon as we see it and always stand ready to forgive. Because we love and value one another, we must call each other up out of sin as soon as we see it and always stand ready to forgive. Again, keep in mind the connective nature of our calling in Christ, that we are a team even more than that. We are a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, Jesus says 11 times in the Gospels, love one another. Love one another. Uh, John says this. He says, if you can't love your brother whom you see, then it's impossible for you to love God who is unseen. Right? So, so this loving one another is important. So because we are connected and because we love one another, Jesus commands us that if we see our brother whom we love fall into sin, we have a duty, and that duty is to call them up out of that sin, to rebuke him, 
to rebuke him. I'm I'm right there in uh, verse 3. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Now, uh, a couple of things real quick, especially for my my negative, overcritical brothers and sisters that are beginning to secretly rejoice inside because they think they have finally found God's calling for their life. Yes! Rebuke people. I'm on it. Let me say a couple things to you, okay? Number one, this is not a present imperative. This is not something that is meant to be done continually or habitually, which means that a critical lifestyle cannot be acceptable to God. Can't be. This is something instead, it is an imperative, it's a command, but it is a command that is meant to be done immediately when it happens, when the brother sins, we don't wait, we don't let it fester, we don't let it get worse. At that moment, we go to them. So, 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 but but it, it, we can't constantly be, which means that you also have to build your brother up. That's what I'm telling you. It means you can't just be critical. You also have to be an, an encourager, okay? Second thing uh, is I would say to you that this is about rebuking sin. Notice the passage, when your brother sins, rebuke him. It doesn't say when your brother disagrees with you. It doesn't say when their personal opinion is different. It doesn't even say when their own convictions are different than your convictions that you should rebuke their convictions, right? So there are things in the Bible that the Bible declares are sin. Those are black and white, and they are sin to all believers. There are things in the Bible that that God says this is sin. That is a sin to every believer, whether they want to admit it or not. It is a sin, okay? Then there are things that the Holy Spirit points out to you in your conscience and says you shouldn't do that. Those are individual. They are for you. That's the Holy Spirit in you saying, listen, that is not for you, Jack. That's not for you, Terry. You can't do this one thing anymore. Now, the moment that you choose to ignore the Holy Spirit and do the one thing he tells you not to do, that is sin to you, but that may not be sin to someone else. So I can't rebuke them for the thing that the Holy Spirit has told me that I should avoid. Does that make sense? That, 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 that takes a lot of things off the table. I can't rebuke somebody for their parenting style, for their politics, for their media choices, all right? Because those things have to do about personal opinion, about personal conviction. So it is about rebuking sin. And then here's the last thing I would say to you. There's three words in the New Testament for rebuke. When you hear rebuke and you think, yes, it's my job to rebuke somebody, you are probably thinking of, of, of the first of those three words. You're thinking about chastising another person. You're like, yeah, I'm good at that, okay? Which literally in Greek can actually mean beating upon somebody. You can physically beat on them. You stupid... That's like what, you know, what used to happen to me as a teenager with my mother's sandal. Just, just, you know, that was it. I knew I was being chastised, being corrected, okay? Uh, Those things happen. The second word, you may also be thinking about thinking, yes, I can't wait to do this. Uh, The second word uh, in Greek for, for rebuke means to expose someone publicly. Or to shame them. We're good at that. Good at that. Ha <laughs> ha, you're wrong. <laughs> we really are good at that when, when we think other people are prideful. Of course, that means if we're exposing somebody publicly, we've kind of got a pride issue ourselves. But this word and the word that is most common in the New Testament for rebuke, it doesn't mean either of those things. It actually means to show honor. It means to raise the price or the value of. Well, that's different, isn't it? To raise the value of my brother? Now listen, it still has to do with pointing out sin, but it's about your motivation. Why are you pointing out the sin? Are you pointing out the sin to make them lesser than you? No, you're pointing out the sin not to push them down, but you're pointing out the sin to raise them up. This kind of rebuke must be loving, 
must be private. It's this, right? Hey, bud, come here for a second. Listen, I noticed that you're having a problem with that throw-in still. <laughs> I think what you're doing, I think you're, you're trying to push from your legs, you know. You guys don't understand soccer. It'll make sense eventually, right? You're trying to get your, your momentum from your legs. It, it's a core thing. You need to just bend your back and use that muscle instead of trying to push up. When you push up, your back foot's always going to spring up. Use your core and instead just drag your toe just like that, okay? It's something done lovingly. It's something done for the betterment of the person. Something done to say, hey, listen, I've been there. Let me tell you how I fixed that problem. Let me tell you what the Lord showed me and how we dealt with it together. And after we've done that, the Bible says we must always stand ready to forgive. Always stand ready to forgive. Now, listen, don't get lost in this. Be easy. Some people, uh, and we even had that discussion this week, Alan, myself, and Ryan, we were all sitting around. So do we only forgive them when they repent, right? <laughs> when, they, then when they repent, and if they repent seven times, then you forgive them. That, that gives me great justification as a Christian that I never actually have to forgive them. They don't repent. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use Jesus' words here and say, listen, if you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. I would err on that side, personally. If I were going to err, right? Error in grace. Error in grace. It just means we are always standing. Why, are, why, why is forgiveness so important, friends? Because we've received it. If you ever have received true forgiveness, how can you not forgive another, right? And you think about our sins and, and, and what is due our sins, how Jesus hung on the cross, how he felt separation from God. How can you not forgive your brother for some worldly sin? Right? Always stand ready to forgive. Number three, because, because life is hard and full of difficulty, we must seek to live by faith. Because life is hard and full of difficulty, we must seek to live by faith. I love how the disciples respond to Jesus, right? So he says two things. And one, he says, you better guard your life closely because if you cause somebody to, to, uh, to, to sin, if you cause a scandal that causes somebody to fall away from faith, it'd be better for you to die tragically, okay? And, and then he says, and... It, by the way, if, if your brother uh, is in sin, I want you to call them up, not, not call them down, right? And, and the disciples' response to this is, wow, Jesus, that's hard. They're like, help! That's, I, we can't do that. No, like, we, we need more faith than that, Jesus. That's, that's their response is, please increase our faith. You see, they know their heart. They, they know their natural inclination is, is, is to be proud, right? They were extremely proud people. They fought over who was the best disciple, for crying out loud. That's their natural inclination, right? That's what pride is. Pride always compares, by the way. And, and, and so they were always comparing themselves to one another. They were prone to these arguments about who was the greatest. They naturally tore one another down. They, they weren't builders of people and instead of pouncing on one another's problems, they needed to now start helping each other. And, and they, they rightly recognized that that's hard. That's not natural for us. Jesus, help. And so, so they cry out like, Lord, increase our faith. And with that request, Jesus teaches a great lesson on faith. Ready? Here it is. You don't need a great amount of faith. You don't need a great amount of faith. You just need a little faith in a God that can accomplish a great amount. Amen. Say it again. You don't need a great amount of faith. You just need a little faith 
and a God that can accomplish a great amount. That's what's needed. Jesus says, if you have just a little bit of that kind of faith, then you can tell a mulberry tree to uproot itself and go be planted in the sea. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to us. Again, we're not Jewish. Mulberry trees, evidently, uh, Jewish teachers taught that their roots could last 600 years. Talk about hanging on. And Jesus says, if you have just a little bit of this faith, you can tell that tree, uproot, go over there. Talk about issues with generational sin. What's plagued your family for six centuries? Is it doubt? Is it disbelief? Divorce? Right? Think about some of those huge things. And, and, and Jesus says, listen, you don't have to have a great amount of faith to overcome that. You just need a little bit of faith in a God that can do a great amount. That's all it takes. It's huge. It's huge. Listen, life is hard. Okay? Some of you feel that right now this morning. Some of you, you had a great week. You're feeling good. Some of you, you, you are just, you are feeling, you are, you're in the vice right now. Listen, life is hard. Following Jesus is, is hard. Um, loving one another is hard, right? <laughs> Adding value to one another is hard. But God is able. He is able to use you. He is able to do great work in you and through you. You don't have to have a great amount of faith. You just have to have a little faith in a God who is able to do a great amount. Wonder, anyone faithful here this morning? Anyone believe this morning? That's okay, it's church. Anybody willing to say, yeah, I believe God can use me? Yeah, I got a little bit of faith. I don't have a lot of faith, but I got a little bit of faith. I believe in a God that can do it. All right, let's act like it, right? Let's act like it. Last thing I'll share with you is this, okay? Because Jesus is the sinless Savior, and we are the sinful servants, we must remember that any good we do is because of him. This is 7 through 10 of this passage, right? Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to that servant when he comes in from the field, Oh, come along now and, and sit down and eat. Would he not rather say, Hey, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are but unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This is very much about the servant-savior relationship and our need to do our job. It's very much about exalting Jesus into his place, which means that we have to get out of his place and take our place. And our place is not as Lord. Our place is as servant or slave even, doulos. But I want to add a little wrinkle in that thinking this morning. Ready? The full counsel of Scripture, of God's Word. So to that, I want to add this thought that we find in John 15, 5. Right? It says uh, this, Jesus speaking, says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, okay? That means that anything that we produce, any fruit, any goodness that comes out of our lives comes not from us, but it can only come from who? 
from Jesus, right? Any good we do can only come from Jesus. Now, when we put the two of those together, uh, we, we, we get this. At my very best, I've only done my job, right? That, that's what our text says, 7 through 10. At my very best, I've only done my job, that of a servant. By the way, and I don't do that uh, very often, do I? Right? I mean, how faithful are we as servants? Anybody? Anybody want to confess? We could I, open mic this morning. Anybody want to come up? How'd you do this week? No? Nobody wants to share. Okay. I'll just say I missed more than a few opportunities, okay? All right? So, so at my very best, all I've done is done my job, right? And, and, and at that, when I have actually done my job, I have only done it because of Him. Because there's nothing good in me. Let that sink in. That, that is, is humbling. That's what Jesus' last statement means. We should say we are but unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. And, and at that, we have only done that through his strength and his ability. It's a humbling thought. No attaboys, no pat on the backs. <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So what do we do with uh, such a diverse text? Ten verses, that's a lot of stuff in ten verses, amen? Anybody else? I felt, the, I was like, Lord, this, this could have been four different sermons. Here we go. What do we do? Number one, uh, I think the call of this text is uh, that value, that connectivity. Connectivity. Family. You want to know what makes family work and tick? It is valuing the other members of the family above yourself. That's it. Value others above yourself. How, how do I guard myself? That's the first command, right? Constantly guard yourself. Right? Because sin is going to happen, but woe to those through whom scandal comes. Woe to those through whom scandal comes. Jesus is saying, better not be you, so you better guard yourself. How do I guard myself against such scandal? I have to think about the needs of others. I have to value their needs above my wants. Looks something like this. Ready? I'm tempted. You're tempted. And there are those temptations which we are so weak that we immediately fall into. But then there are the ones that we battle. We think about. Sometimes later we fall into, but when, when, when we're on guard, we have to be on guard. Listen, there's going to be some things that you're going to try to stand on. And typically as a human who has two legs... You, you tend to think there are two places that I can stand. One is my love for God. I'll stand on my love for God. I'll stand on my love for His Word. I'm just going to stand there. That's the truth. I'm, that's going to be enough. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I don't know about you, I am a sinner. And there are days that my love for God and my love for His Word is not enough. There are days that I know exactly what the Bible says, but that doesn't mean that I want to do what the Bible tells me to do. Because I'm a sinner. So on, on those days, I rely on my other foot, right? It's just my hate for sin. Not for sinners, but for sin and for its consequences. If you're here and you've been one of those people, you know, my family, my dad left when I was a year old. I know what it is to be from a broken home. I know what it is to play ping pong back and forth with the parents accusing one another and what that pool felt like. And I decided long ago that my children would never have to go through that. That was before I met Jesus. I decided that wasn't going to happen for me. 
Okay, And there are some days that my love for God and my love for my wife should absolutely be enough, but there are other days that I have to stand on that hate for the hurt that sin causes. Okay, But I'm here to tell you that's not enough, friends. You need a third leg. You need to be a tripod. You need something else to hold you up. And that something else should be this thought. What happens if I fail and cause a scandal? to those that view me as a minister of Jesus Christ. And in those moments when you're fighting sin that's that difficult and that hard, that last leg should keep you firm. If I follow through with this, and if it leads to what it could lead to, what effect would that have on my community, on my church, on my neighbors? And if I deem their eternity more important than my temporal feelings, then I say no to that sin. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? It's a big deal, okay? Value others above yourself. Number three, value the body of Christ. Value your family, man. What does that look like? It means that I, I, my, my call is to add value to, to the people uh, of my family, to the people of this body of Christ. How do I add value to them? Do I add value by, by, by criticizing them? Do I add value by calling them out publicly? Is that how I add value? No, I add value by properly rebuking them if they're in sin. Not their opinions, not their personal convictions, but real genuine sin. And I don't wait on it. I don't let it fester. I don't, I, I don't ever do it out of hate. I don't do, ever do it out of, uh, out of anger. But, but I do it lovingly. I do it privately. I go to them and say, Brother, listen, let, let me, let me, I, I, I'm seeing this in you, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you're seeing this or not, but, but, um, but man, I, I just want to say, I, I, think, I think you're better than that. I think God's calling for us is better than that. We, we, I, I need you here, not here. Okay? I've got to value the body of Christ. I've got to, I've got to be willing to properly rebuke sin. Uh, three, I, I've got to understand what my faith is for. I've got to understand what my faith is for. Sometimes we think about faith just in terms of salvation. And, and while faith is the vehicle by which we fall into the grace of God, by the way, we're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace. Faith is the vehicle by which we fall into the unchanging grace of God. Uh, but sometimes that's, that's where we leave it. But friends, faith is about your daily living. It's about your daily choices. And faith is meant for the hard things, right? I mean, life is hard. It, it, it takes faith, right? Um, uh, following Jesus is hard. Loving one another is hard. Adding value to, to one another is, is hard. But God is able. And I, I don't have to have a large amount of it. I just have to have a little bit of faith in a God who is able to do a great amount. It's all I have to have. Just that faith of a mustard seed. Friend, do you still believe that God can use you? After all your mistakes? Do you still believe that God can use you after the hurt that you felt from somebody in a church? Do you still believe that God can use you after you reach that birthday you just had? Do you still believe that God can use you any way that He chooses? One of the saddest statements in the church I hear from um, some of my older folks that say, I've been there and I've done that. 
I'm done. God's done with me. No. Not if you're breathing. Not if you're breathing. You know, some of the best Sunday school teachers when kids are concerned are my older folks. You know why? Because they taught the parents of the kids that are now coming. (laughs) Sometimes they they can speak a lesson and they know the parents of the kids and they go, oh yeah, your mama's, (laughs) come here. We got to spend a little extra time on this one, baby. Do you believe God can still use you? Just need a little bit of belief in a God that is able to do a whole lot more. And lastly, uh, the call of Scripture, not the fun one, but the, the true one. We've got to do our job. We've got to do our job. So I'll close with two questions. Um, and the, both questions have basically uh, the same tone. In fact, uh, both questions use the same words except for uh, four, five. I'm going to add five words to the second question. Yeah, five words. So here's the first question. Ready? Just ask yourself. You can write it down on your piece of paper. Am I serving? Just three words. Am I serving? Are you serving the body of Christ? If you're not, that's problematic. Your role is a servant. I, I don't know how to better tell you that, but that's, I know we live in America, and we don't like the thought of having to serve anybody. But guess what? If you could earn your own salvation, then I would have no problem with you being so proud. I mean it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, listen, I, I'm, I'm going to say this lovingly, but we got to get off the high horse. It's, it's time. It, it, we, we forsake what God has done for us on the cross when we act like we are too good to serve. This, this morning, our nursery workers were late. I didn't even think twice to grab Levi. I'm like, Levi, come hang out with me, buddy. Y'all thought I had another child magically all of a sudden. That, that's, not, that's not it. We just, we just had a little one that needed somebody to hold him just for a few minutes. That's fine. That's cool. I'm, I'm, I, and I felt bad because, Tiffany, you felt bad. You were like, oh, why is Pastor having... No, it was fine. Like, it was awesome. In fact, I felt bad because when I dropped him off, he was like, Whoa! So I'm coming back in to preach. I was like, oh, I hurt his little heart. <laughs> He's so sweet. We were hanging out. It was good. I, I, hope, I pray that he sings like you and not like me, though. I hope that one moment didn't tarnish him for a life. Eesh. First question I'm going to ask you, just three words, are you serving? Now let me add five words to that. Are you serving with all of your heart? Because that's a different question. Are you serving with all of your heart? I put my heart into a lot of things in life. I really do. I put my heart into loving my kids and I try to put my heart into providing for my family that they don't have any needs that go unmet. I try to put my heart into a lot of places. I wonder how much of my heart is exhausted on his kingdom. Let's not forget, he is Savior. We are servants. And I know that this Savior has come to serve us, so it can be confusing. I know that this Savior is the one who stepped out of heaven and humbled himself and washed some sinners' feet. But let's not forget who the sinners are. Remember, after Jesus did that, he then said, you must go and do likewise. 
Are you serving with all of your heart? Pray with me, okay? Father, thank you for your word. It's good. It's not easy, but it's good. That's what faith is for. (laughs) Help us have the faith to listen, to obey, and to do something because of it. Love you. Love you, love you, love you. As we leave here in a moment, I pray that your word would resonate inside of us. Let's not go home and just turn on the TV and and forget about what you've done, about what you've called us to, but let this text resonate with us. Even if that means we've got to go back and listen to it again later this week. Even if it means we've got to spend some time reading it again and praying through it. God, do what only you can do in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.